Swim check one, two. Bike check one, two. Run check one, two. I think we're ready. Let's try this. Welcome to the Try Beginner's Luck podcast, a podcast where we explore the sport of triathlon from a variety of perspectives to help beginner triathletes on their journey. I am your host, Nashonda Shines. Happy New Year and welcome back to Try Beginner's Luck. Woo! We are in 2023. We're in the fourth week of the year. And I tell you, the first recording the first episode is always like butterfingers. I forget what I'm supposed to say, forget what I'm supposed to do. And it's like riding a bike again for the first time. I might make a couple of falls, but I will get back up again. But I guess it's just like in life when you have a couple of failures or just challenges that you have gone through, you got choices to make. You either let failure rest or you get back up and try and turn that into a success. And so I was thinking a lot and talking with my team about what does this year signify? And the wise Maria was like, courage. And I said, yes, it takes courage to try. And we're in our third season, technically first full year, going into our second year. And it really does take courage to do something different. And so I just encourage you, whether you feel supported or not, whether you have all the resources or not, whether you have lost the weight or not, whether you know how to swim or not, bike or not, run or not, you have the ability to try and to do something different. And it's up to you to have that courage to be able to do that. It takes courage to be great. And I know for sure, everyone that's listening, you guys are great because one, you're listening. <laughs> and if you're not listening, you need to be great. So you too can be great. So I always like to start the first of the podcast season with like a heavy hitter, a puncher, someone who has been in the triathlon world for a long time, who has knowledge that they can share. Because again, I want to set you up to have a great season and we try to build on that. And so I got the pleasure of meeting this young man um, this summer of 2022. And I was just blown away because I have heard or I had heard so many stories about who he was. He was like a legend in my mind before actually meeting him. And so being able to meet him in person, I'm dramatic. So imagine me meeting him. I'm like, oh my gosh, I am meeting. Oh my God. Like having a fangirl moment. But I'm really like that because he really is a legend in this sport. He has been a part of over 87 world teams where he has managed athletes on Team USA. He has been to over 40 different countries. He's the former editor of the USA Triathlon's official publication from 1994 to 2004. He's instrumental in founding the USA Triathlon Hall of Fame. You can thank him for your USA official rankings because without these rankings back in the day when he thought about it, you wouldn't be able to be going to age group national. So give thanks and give him his props where it's due. And he has such a long rap sheet. He started, had an initial stint as USA Triathlon's Triathlon's Championship and USA Team USA Coordinator from 1990 to 92. He's been the Executive Director. He has served as Acting CEO. What hasn't he done? He has managed and the US delegation for ITU Worlds. He is a team leader of the USA Olympic team for their national, or excuse me, their international debut at the 2000 Summer Olympics in Sydney, Australia. I really could keep going on and on and on. He's probably the reason you are a professional if you are a professional or you are an elite if you're an elite for having a club program, coaches for having coaching certifications. He is Mr. Triathlon himself. 
All right. Without further ado, I get to bring to the audience, Mr. Tim Yant. Tim, welcome to Try Beginner's Luck. How are you? Oh my gosh. I'm I'm blushing the color of my USA um zip, zip down. Jeez, Michelle, that was that was crazy over the top. You know what? I'm I'm good. I'm really good. I'm glad we're in a new year. You know, it's sometimes you get in the holidays, right? And you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so beat up. I'm tired, exhausted. I went in the holidays really motivated to look at 2023 differently, to be really energized and excited about it. And so you really did make my week and make this month by allowing me to come on your show. So thank you for the invite and and over the top um, introduction. You know, you mentioned courage, your introduction. I'm not sure I have enough courage to be here, but I'm going to dumb my way through it a little bit and see what, what we can do. Courage. What do you mean? You have all the courage. It takes <laughs> courage to, to do what you love, even against probably the odds. And that's, what to me, what signifies who you are. And yes, I am over the top. That's who I am. And I am not making any concessions from being over the top. And any <laughs> guest who comes on this podcast, or if it's out in the world and I'm emceeing, hosting, whatever, it's over the top because that's who I am and because you deserve it. And Thank honor you. is due always. So yeah, my ears are burning. I don't know what that means, but like, as I was talking, it was just like my ears were burning. I was getting excited because I really feel that you have so much to offer people who may not get a chance to touch, see, or, you know, be at an age group nationals or go and qualify for you or worlds. So to be able to bring that to this audience just warms my heart. Okay. 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 We got to get into this. So Take me back to when you knew you wanted to try triathlon. Like, take me all the way back. How did you even learn about triathlon? Well, it's a it's a great question because I've always been an avid outdoors person, right? I've always been a runner. I was a runner in high school. I was a cycling fanatic. I loved to ride. I wasn't always fast, but I just loved to do it, right? And I didn't really like swimming, but I'd go to the pool as a kid every day and swim. And I was in the swim team for, for a year or two. And so it's always kind of been part of my DNA to, to, to maybe do something in triathlon. But we didn't really know anything about triathlon when I was growing up because it really didn't exist at the level where I felt I could do something. So when I was in college, it was my, my freshman year, I was asked to help with the triathlon. So I came out as a volunteer and I'm standing there, I'm looking around like, Oh my gosh, look at all these people. I can do this. I know I can do this. So the next year I said, well, let's do a relay. And then the, the third year I said, I'm going to do it on my own. And I did it on old rusty. I don't know. I mean, it was like a miniature 10 speed at the time. It was pretty gross, but I did it and it was fun and, and I enjoyed it. And I kind of got the interest to, to maybe do a few more. So I did a few other races in, in that area where I, I was in Kansas. And so there weren't a lot of options back then. But that was it. That was when I got the fever. And it, it was just something I didn't really want to or feel the need to excel. I just wanted to participate, be part of this brand new environment of triathlon, whatever triathlon was. You know, for, for all I can remember, I probably pronounced it wrong, but it was still fun. Oh, pronouncing it wrong? Listen, I pronounce <laughs> it wrong all the time. I'm Southern. And so occasionally you may hear me say triathlon. It's like if I've been in Georgia for too long and come back, it's like triathlon, athlete. And so... For those of you who have sent messages about that, oh, well, anyway, but no, that is so cool. So you started by just helping, volunteering, and then you did a relay. We often say here, or at least I often encourage relays, because I think that is such a good way to get involved without, it's like you can stick stick your pinky in without sticking your whole finger, your hand in, but I really wanted to say, this is what I really wanted to say is stink your, stick your pick, pinky toe in <laughs> without sticking your whole foot in. You see, it's the beginning. It's the beginning. Yeah, so, I, I did. I, I had to dabble with it because, you know, at that time I, I hadn't been swimming very much. So I'm like, I'm not going to just jump right in this body of water with these people and arms flailing and people kick and it's like that. I wanted to kind of feel more comfortable. So when I was actually able to see it, happen i i knew i could do it and that's that's when it came together that i should try this sport and yeah. i'm glad i did because it kind of kick-started the rest of my life really one yes 
has definitely led to the trajectory of your entire career. It and is. I think it's it's the curiosity that probably got you. And then it was just like, man, it, it sucked you in. But this sport is very contagious. Let's be real. One little, ah, it's contagious. Okay, so tell us about your first relay and which leg of the relay did you do? Well, it was... Again, at that time, I was a freshman in college. And I lived in the dorm, right? It was it was a, a hall there on, on the campus of Kansas State University. The Wildcats, woo, Wildcats, purple, woo, purple and gray. They just upset Kansas last night in basketball, by the way. So I was so excited this morning when I when I was able to see some of the video clips. Um, so it was it was a situation I was asked to do a leg. I wasn't able to choose. They said we need for you to do the run session, and they, they know I ran because it was crazy. Uh, a good friend of mine that I would run with every night. And it was always at dark. It was around eight o'clock or nine o'clock. We would run the perimeter of the campus and it was about 2.2 miles. And so we would run that thing as hard as we could possibly go. And, it, you know, at night you, you look like you feel like you're running faster than you really are, but we'd get back and it's hot and humid in this area of the state. And I'd be sweating. I'd feel good about myself. And, so they knew that I was somewhat fit in the run. So that, it worked for me to do that. So that was my first option. I, I, if they had asked me to do the swim, I probably wouldn't be here today. I'd probably be working. Um, not that there's anything wrong with working at Burger King or McDonald's, but I might just be right there at that location in Colorado Springs working in, in a Burger King McDonald's if I had to have that opportunity happen. Wow. Well, I'm grateful that they went with your strengths. They did. And I think in this is kind of like an object lesson for those of you who are listening, who probably already know, play to your strengths, you know, and then work on the other things, which is what you did. So you started off with the run. You were like, oh, I can do this. Now I want to do my first full one. So tell us and take us back to what was your mindset when you did your first full triathlon on your own? Yeah, it was, it was actually kind of scary. I will remember it was a small little body of water out at Tuttle Creek, which was named the body of water, which is a, it's a, actually a big creek, but this was in a small section of where we actually did the race. And I just remember being such a neophyte and I didn't really, I, I mean, you didn't have internet, so I can't do research on it. I'm talking to people that trying to explain a little bit about what we are, are to do. And there's, there's no wetsuit, thankfully, otherwise I, I probably wouldn't have done it either. And so I just, I said, you know what? I've, I've done so much racing. I started running pretty actively as a kid. I was in second grade. I did my first running event in a, it was a 10K, believe it or not, as a second grader. And so I kind of knew what racing on the running side was about. I'd never done a bike race before at that particular point in my life, which I went on to race bikes a lot after that. Um, and and then the swim, it was, I was swim team for a couple of years. So I knew kind of what competitive swimming was about. So it was just putting these things together. I didn't know anything about transition. I didn't know what the order would, would be for me that worked best. I didn't know where to put my gear. I didn't know exactly what gear. Do I put socks on? Do I not put socks on? Uh, <laughs> you know, do I, do I, can I run out of transition without my helmet clipped? And, and, you know, do I wear shades or do I not wear shades? There are all these questions that you think about, right? And you feel like you shouldn't ask people that know the sport well what to do because you sound dumb and you're thinking they're going to make fun of you because in college people make fun of people in college all the time, right? For a lot of things. So I didn't, but I just, I got through that first one and it was fun and I wasn't very fast, but I didn't really care because I was able to do something that I had set my mind to do. And I, I'd kind of been thinking about it over the summer when I was at home about training for something. And this kind of came to mind. And so it kind of worked out that I had done a little bit of work before that because it, it was an event that was taking place, you know, right when we came back from school. So it was always a fun time to get back with new people and to try new things. <laughs> Welcome to my world of not researching. I'm one of those people like, it's better sight unseen. Let's just do it and then figure out the rest later. So welcome to my world. But one thing that you said that stood out to me, and I think um, it's probably the impetus of this podcast and why I'm so passionate about it is not feeling like you can ask the questions that you need to ask without being judged. And how many people haven't stepped out to try because they're scared to ask the questions and they haven't yet built up the courage to do so yet? Do Have you found that people who come up and talk to you, 
and tell you their stories or ask questions, what is it that they ask most of the time when coming to you for information about the sport? Well, there's 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 two kinds of I put in two brackets. There's the high-end TUSA athlete that will tell me some incredible stories about what they've done to the season and whatnot. The, you know, the the national caliber athletes. When I go to nationals, they talk to me about all the things they're doing and how fast they are, which is great. I love I love talking to the many many people. And you were at nationals this year, so you you were able to to take all that in too. And there's some amazing people that come to these events. And then there's this other side of of the the sport where I have a chance to to talk to some of these clubs and at these club sessions, everybody has a similar story. What you just said that I was afraid to ask the obvious questions. And I say obvious because they're not obvious if you don't have the answers to them, right? They're, they're not obvious at all. And so what I do is I like to just telling my story and how I began and, and how the intimidation was pretty great, but you know what? We all have a little bit of courage. You opened with that word courage. We have a little bit of courage to kind of step forward and step off and, and know that it's probably going to work out just fine. And it does. And it did. And it has. And every person just needs to take that first step. Um, and, and, it, and then it goes to 10 steps. And then it's 30 steps. And then you get a little bit more advanced. You do your first race. You're really excited and energized. I will always remind people of this. Doing that first triathlon, you'll rarely not do another one unless your first one and your only one is an Ironman. Your first triathlon, whether it be sprint or Olympic or whatever, usually leads to another one. It leads to another one. It leads to another one. And that's what makes this sport so great is that you build on those feelings of of self-admiration, worth, and, and accomplishment that it it makes it easy for you to do that next race. All that, and it wasn't even really seen and heard. That was on <laughs> I'm going to do it again. Bam, that is a golden nugget. I dropped a pin as if I was dropping the mic. <laughs> it, because seriously, if you build up to it, you will continue and fall in love in the sport. Even if you build up to it, you get to the Ironman distance and you fail twice, you're still going to fall in love with it because you know what it feels like to finish. And you just got to keep coming back and doing it again. Obviously, I'm talking about myself, but it's okay. Because <laughs> I'm not afraid of my failures because those are going to make me stronger. However... I will say the self-worth part, it's like it helps you to build that confidence of who you are, the admiration and the confidence. It's, this sport really just is parallel to none. So I just need to throw that out there. That was well, good. I, I, would say, I just got goosebumps when you said that. You know why? You know how many people have walked up to me to say this sport saved my life? This sport saved my life. I had tried everything. I had done this, I had done that, and I just wasn't finding happiness. And all of a sudden I found triathlon. Yeah. And you don't you know, hear those stories. You, you know you have something pretty great in a sport when you can save a life or lives or people see what happens, the transformations that people have gone through with their lives. I would not trade that for one thing. Uh, ever. And that's why I never have any regrets about where I've been and what I've gone through, because that is the story that is worth telling over and over again. I could not agree more. So many people that, and let's quantify this. <laughs> Tim has talked to millions. <laughs> I've talked to maybe a few hundred and everyone that I've talked to has had, this sport has had a positive effect on them. And some people can't do it anymore because maybe they they moved, lifestyle changes, things happen. But guess what? They return. This is a sport where you can just come back and return. Okay. I've gotten so far off. Did we talk about your first race by yourself? Yeah, we did. And, and yeah, yeah, it was fun. Thanks for, for bringing me back 30 plus years. Yes. Okay. Like I, I, I got so far into it. I was like, <laughs> so far into it. that I'm like, wait a minute. Did I pull myself back out? Ooh, pull myself back out. Okay. So your first race you did all on your own. Was it a sprint race? Was it a, an Olympic? The distances were different. It wasn't a standard sprint like we might see now, you know, 750 meter swim, 20K bike and a 5K run. 
and I can't remember exactly the distances, um, but they, it was very sprint-like, and that, that would have been the only one I would have done. I would have never done an Olympic distance race in my first shot. Just wasn't in the cards, so, yeah. And it's also smart. <laughs> also smart. you know, I mean, people now do their first race as an Ironman or a half Ironman, I, which I'm just astounded by. Listen, I think to each his own. Yeah, that's all I'm going to say is to each his own. For me, that probably wouldn't have been a reality, right? And I probably would have been like, deuces, I'm out. But for some people, they have a different mindset. They have a different mental threshold. They have a different pain threshold. That's something I'm learning about. Pain threshold is real. How much pain can you endure and like make that go to a different level? Anyway, wherever you start, here's the deal. Let me put this out here. Wherever you start on your triathlon journey, it's yours. Own it. Be bold with it. It is your journey. You may start at the iron distance and then want to come back to the sprint and then do the mid middle distances between the Olympic and the uh, 70.3. But no matter where it goes, you're going to find a sweet spot. And it's up to you to find and determine what sweet spot that is for you. Now, back to you, Mr. Triathlon, Tamiyan. <laughs> what is, I don't want to assume that running is your favorite, but what is your favorite leg of the sport? You know, it's interesting. The The amount of running that I loved doing um, growing up, because I, I, I used to love, I've done I've done all sorts of different distances and I just really enjoy it. You know what, I, what happened is, and this is a crazy story, but it is part of my journey. You mentioned journey. Is I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis at age 27. So this it high enjoyment around the running that I was able to do turned into a painful step along the way. Every step, I'd get out of bed, every step was painful. And I didn't know why. And I didn't know anything. Um, I was at a world championship. I was in Australia managing a world's team. And I just come back from a run with Dr. TK Miller, who's our medical lead. And I said to him, Dr. Miller, I, man, I, I'm getting out of bed. And I, I feel like I thought I stepped on glass the first time I put my foot in the ground. I, I don't know what's going on. So I came back to the States and I had doctors time and time again, tell me, don't, we don't know what you have. Doesn't look like anything. And then finally one doctor said, I think you might have what they call RA rheumatoid arthritis. And so that that was what shifted my mindset from being really competitive and running to something else. And that something else was cycling. Cycling has become my passion to answer a question in a roundabout way. Cycling has become my love. I do it. This is crazy. Uh, I do it almost every day. Um, I would usually take maybe 10 to 12 days off a year because I love what happens when I ride. I love the feeling, the exhilaration of it. I love going fast, which I can't do running anymore. I still run. I still am able to run. I don't have any pain. The biologics that I'm on now allow me to do a little bit more, but I can't do Ironmans. I can't do halves. I can't do that because I, I would probably never survive the, the days afterwards. And I'm not swimming much, if at all, anymore. And so cycling has taken over um, every aspect of what I do. I've, I've, eight or nine frames in my house. I've got time trial. I've got road. I've got mountain. I'm getting a, a gravel bike pretty soon. So I, yeah, it's just been my new adoption and I've been doing it for, for quite a while now. Race bikes for quite a while. Then I got done racing bikes and I just went into enjoying time trials and a hundred mile races and doing all those things that, that I'm not doing as much anymore because of time, but I still love to ride. Well, it looks like you and Vic has have a lot in common with the eight or nine bike frames between the two of you. I think the average height will be about a 54, 56 bike frame for me. So you, if you, you're on it, girl, you're if, on it. If you need to send me a bike or <laughs> come on, I will receive a TT and a regular road bike. I'm here for it. Okay. Ooh, <laughs> eight or nine frames. I love that. You know, you, you twisted, what could have been a challenge and you made it into something victorious, you know, versus saying, you know what, I'm just going to give up. You, you turned it around and cycling to cycle every day. What happens when you're traveling? Do you travel with a bike? 
No, I go in hotels. I, I seriously, matter of fact, the first question I ask the, the person in my office that sometimes will book my hotels, guess what I'm asking? It's got to have a trainer. It's got to have a train in the gym. If it doesn't have a train in the gym, we're not, I'm not staying there. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. Because priorities, right? Like priorities matter. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not afraid to ride at midnight. I'm not afraid to ride at five in the morning to get it in because this, as you know, working nationals, your schedule is crazy. It's insane. It starts at 4.30 at the venue and it goes till late in the day. And But I love it so much. I, I'm i able to decompress on a bike. And that's what happens if I ride at the end of the day. And I love that. I love that you do that. And you're right. I, I was at nationals this year. I was training for a race and I had to figure it out between, you know, the early call times and being able to hang out with friends who were there and it was like, Hey, I got to get up with you later. Cause I have something to do, you know, but yeah, it's all about your priorities. So what I hear from this is that when you're traveling, no matter what it is that you do, find a place where you're staying that will be suitable for the, your needs. And yeah. if you've had a diagnosis that the doctor has said, Oh, you can't do this. There's always a win in the multi-sport world. You can always do swim, bike, you know, um, there's just always an alternative. So you don't have to take their uh, diagnosis as your final answer, you know, because there's always something that you can do. You know, you're, you're right. Matter of fact, there's a process we all go through when we grieve, right? It's learning the information. What, what, what have they been told? Okay. When the doctors say you'll never run again, I say, okay, I'm hearing that. Try it. It's not going to happen to me. And I still run. Um, you may not be able to do this again. Okay. Remember that? Try it. Load me up. What else can I'm not going to be able to do because I'm going to prove you wrong. I'm going to do it. That's the mindset I see so much in triathletes that try to drag me down, but it's not going to because my mindset is going to to provide a win and victory every time when that's the battle, the battles we go through are overcoming the doubts. And I think that's what makes us stronger. And that's how we elevate our confidence and our ability to succeed in life because it all impacts every aspect of what we do, how we raise our kids or how we work with athletes or how we talk to, to parents and how we do all these things. It's all related because we can overcome together and we work together and we make it happen. And that's, I, I will say this, some, somebody asked me a couple couple months ago, would you ever change it? Would you ever wish you never had rheumatoid arthritis? You could be doing these Ironmans and stuff. I said, no, because it allowed me to re-reflect on what I felt I needed to overcome first. And now I get to tell the story of how I was able to do that. And a lot of people have arthritis, but rheumatoid affects the joints. Look at my crooked fingers, t fingers, toes, elbows, neck, back, shoulders, everything it affects every part of it. But we overcome it and I'm not in pain. And and the, the exercise I've been told by many doctors is what saved my life. It's what made it different than someone else that says, I've got rheumatoid arthritis. I'm never going to work out again. If they did, they would find solace. They'd find a, a solution to the issues that they're having. They just don't know that. I mean, I'm not always speechless. <laughs> but in this moment and hearing what you said, about you wouldn't change your diagnosis because it allowed you to overcome. You had have no idea last season was about overcoming, you know, like, you know, overcoming and being in this sport, you will have something to overcome. And if you haven't overcome something on the, the course, it's familial, financial, emotional, spiritual, but you will overcome something. And I think that is just, so powerful in speaking about the mindset and how it is your mindset. Even when you have quote unquote failures or unsuccessful events, it doesn't mean it's the end. It just gives you an opportunity to change it around and do it differently so that when you come back, it can be victorious. I, anyway, okay, I'm good. Okay, Tim, we have to have you back on number one. Number two, 
I want to switch us and move more into your role at USA Triathlon throughout the years and how we can get people, because this is the start of the season, thinking about perhaps age group nationals, relays, you know, whatever it is that they can so that they can be a part of the ranking system that you were so generous with giving us and initiating back in the day. So tell us about what it is that you do right now at USA Triathlon. Well, and, and I'll, I'll kind of talk a little bit about what I was doing right before the holiday break. Um, I'm really fortunate that Rocky Harris and Steve Locke and Rob Urbach and all these previous CEOs really granted me the the ability to do a lot of different things within USA Team. We kind of talked about that, the opportunity to, to shift gears and, and move move things around at different points in my career. So coming up to this break, um, I was actually overseeing three different parts of our business. Uh, the first was our, our customer service and engagement part of our business, where if you have issues with anything, you call our team and they answer it. That, that's part, I still oversee that group right now. Um, our education, led, led by a really functional team that's going to be really busy next week as we get into Endurance Exchange and I had a chance to work with that team. And then our events team where I work with all of our national events and our officiating program and, and all those things. Plus our rankings, which falls underneath that, our clubs, which falls underneath that. Um, I, I started with another person, our NCAA program back in 2014. And so these, I, I've had my hands in a lot of different pots within USAT right up to this point of the break. When Victoria Brumfield was able to be hired as, as our new CEO, I love her to death. She's awesome. She's a great leader. And, I, and I, I'm excited to be working with her uh, moving forward. She said to me, Tim, we're going to shift to gear. The pandemic annihilated our high school program. We, we started this past year with four. We were down from 132 to four programs. I need you to build that out. We, we were down to 60 collegiate clubs. We're back now up to about 120. I need for you to, to create collegiate club 2.0. So we get even greater numbers and ability to grow that area of our business. And obviously what you're still doing with the NCAA, where we've reached the, the zenith of 40 institutions, which means we get to start our NCAA assessment soon on becoming a championship sport. But I need to have you release some of the responsibilities that you have. So we're going to give customer service to a new hire that we're going to bring in. We're going to give education over Scott Snitchpon, who is the, the high-performance general manager, and you're going to keep our national event team because you work so close with our national event program. But we're going to have you build up these other two functions. So as of January, my new priorities have our high school collegiate club, NCAA, and, and then Team USA that I get to continue to work with and our national events I get to continue to work with as well, continue to be a priority. So that's it's exciting. And I came this new year so motivated and energized about what's going to be ahead this year. And I'm, I'm hoping I can knock it out and, and make everybody happy and do some really fun things with it. No doubt. There should be no, hopefully you just be like, well, I am going to knock it out. I've done it before. I can do it again. You know, same Tim that did it then you can do it again. Oh my gosh. That's so exciting. So I've been seeing a lot of buzz on like my LinkedIn and uh, just in the different networks that I'm in about high school. Hey, do you know anybody who has a high school person yeah. here or there? And so I didn't understand, but I guess now I should know because you are really, again, at that, um, in the nucleus of building the high school collegiate club, mm -hmm. NCAA. And of course you can't let go of your baby team USA and, you know, the <laughs> international. Cause I mean, that would, that will stop your traveling streak and we need you at all countries by the time you decide that you're ready to move on. But goodness, this is so exciting. So what are some things that you're doing to build um, to build the programs? And it's only right for Vic to say shift a gear because why not? I love it. But go ahead. Tell us what yeah. you're doing. Well, well, the, the high, and, and we are still building that plan right now, but the high school plan is, is, it's, it's going to be built on kind of a different structure. We're going to call it a high school plan, but it's going to be more about recruiting high school age kids who've maybe been dropped from a team, who've been said, no, you're not going to be part of this track and field team. You're not going to be part of this swim program. You're not going to be part of this basketball team. You're not going to be part of this football team. And giving those kids the opportunity to be part of something that will 
as we talked about, changed your life. That's at the crux of this. That's at the, 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 the you talk about the nucleus. That is really why this is so exciting because we're going to become an answer for many kids that have been told, step away, step off, and don't come back to our sport because we, you didn't make the cut. You're going to make the cut in triathlon, and we're going to make sure that happens. So we're, we're going to be building this out. We're going to be leveraging all those people we know to step in and step up to help us find and identify those high school aged kids to be part of a club program. And as we build out these club programs, we're going to start building them where we have NCAA programs first, and then we're going to be going to where we have collegiate clubs second, and then we're going to be looking where we have our youth program builds. We're starting in New Jersey and Pennsylvania. We're going to be moving into Texas, moving into to LA and other markets. We're going to be building behind those as well. And we're going to be hitting diversity markets hard where we're going to go into these, these inner cities and we're going to be creating these club programs. We're going to be finding donations of product and equipment that will make it whole so that no one can ever say, I can't do this because I don't have a bike. I can't do this because I don't own run shoes. I don't own any sh shoes that I could do any exercise in. No more. That's going to change. We're going to, we're going to turn the tide on all of that. And we're going to have, Talent, what we call talent scouts. The talent scouts are going to be out there in each of the states, and they're going to build their talent scout teams. So they work with race directors. They work with coaches. They find kids. They get to the high schools. How can we reach the high school kids to get them to be part of something so amazing and so true? That is why I'm excited about high school build. And we're going to do that or do that very aggressively. You know, sometimes they say you have to be in a room to feel the atmosphere. I just felt everything that Tim said reverberate right in my room. And we are <laughs> thousands of miles away, but it got me excited. Like, yes, because I was going to ask you about the accessibility issue because you know, triathlon is a very resourceful, rich sport. And so the fact that you guys are going to make sure that the, the youth have what they need. I love it. Now I, I want to, Okay. Ask about, because I had a couple, an opportunity to interview some youth groups and some youth on last season. So if there are people who are already out here doing it, how were we pour into them perhaps to keep them invested in going in it and going yeah. in sport? Yeah, no, you're exactly right. There are some people that have done it for a long time that want to continue to do it, that don't want us to lose sight that they've been visionaries in this movement and they've created these pathways for these students these kids to do what they want to do in the sport and so what we're going to be doing is we're going to be supplementing and supporting what they've already created we're going to be telling their story how did you build this what were the key parts where, where were where were the the, the triumphs and where were the, the the dips in the valley that you had to come out of so where did you have your issues and where did you, you have your concerns and how are you creating the funding model to be able to afford to have your club? And where do you see USA Triathlon being of greatest aid to you as part of, is it education? Is it, is it club support? Is it whatever it is that you have? Um, and that's, that's really where it is. It's, it's recognizing and honoring them. It's putting them on a pedestal. Say, you know what? You guys are leaders for this movement. And as leaders, we need to make sure that people know who you are, why you did this, how you did this, and tell the story. And so storytelling is going to be part of a lot of what we get to do. I'm here for that. I am speaking specifically for the youth who are out here on their own. And I'm speaking of um, like the three young girls who are in um, Montauk, uh, in the northeastern region of the world. And we have a young lady here in D.C. And they've had to like find resources. So if there are youth that are already here who may not be in that market, how can we reach them to say, hey, USA Triathlon has this program, reach out to them to perhaps so that they we can continue to get them and keep them, I should say, keep them involved versus them dropping out to another sport. Yeah, no, and, and my apologies for, for thinking you were talking about the coaches. That but that still was good though. That was good. We needed that information too. That was good. <laughs> you know, here's what, and I want to kind of go back to when, when we first started talking about high school triathlon, we reached out to 2,400 certified coaches within USAT. And we said to them, how many people would be interested in 
working with us, not necessarily leading it, but working with us on the on a high school build. We had 70 people respond. We had a TMSA push that we did. We had another 30 people respond. We have now the stepping off point for coaches and TMSA members and many other members when we create the plan and, and, and push it out there who are going to step up and they're going to get to those athletes in Montauk, New York or Montauk, wherever Montauk might be, if not New York. And we're going to be able to identify others that just have a need and a desire to be active and to try the sport for the first time. We're going to be there. Matter of fact, I'm going to be flying to various locations where these various student needs exist. And I'm going to be having conversations with teachers in their school. I'm going to be having conversations with coaches in the area, having conversations with race directors that put on events, whether it be youth events now or adult events. We're going to be talking to clubs, adult clubs, and how the adult clubs can adopt these young kids to be part of a brand new extension of their adult club, which is a youth or high school club program. And so with over a thousand clubs at USAT, we also have the ability to reach student athletes. And you know, the club model is an amazing model where they will help get reduced entry fees for kids and people to participate in. They'll get product support. They'll get local community support. They'll do all these things. It's the most, um, I, I would say that the, the, the best first step that we will take, and then we will build other clubs around them so that we have a, a, enough clubs in the area to support all the needs that we have, whether it be equipment, um, coaching, education, um, social media support, insights, and 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 just being there for for these for these kids. That's what we wanted to hear. <laughs> you gave us even some more, and I really like how the integration with the local community will happen in terms of the adoption of these athletes who, you know, <laughs> might have been looking at um, Heather Jackson on YouTube and was like, I want to, do this, and they just start doing it on their own, uh, and then they come back and are able to connect with a uh, an organization, a club. Sorry, my brain. First one, y'all give me some grace. I was drinking Drippy K, Kaylee. Um, yeah, anyway, me and names, it escapes me. However, I want to ask you for those who are, again, wanting to perhaps do age group nationals and start the ranking system, what is the process for them and how do they get uh start to get rankings what does that look like yeah for for triathlon to get a ranking it's three sanctioned events and then if you do a fourth event you drop your lowest race you do your fifth event you drop your two lowest races and so just competing in sanctioned races and we have thousands of sanctioned races we have matter of fact 4400 races by the end of the year that will be part of our system of events that that people can do so finding three races should not be hard. Um, ra rankings opens the door for a lot of other things to happen. But to, to also build on what your question was about, if you, if you are thinking about nationals, the first thing I want to say is nationals is not out of reach for a lot of people to be able to do, right? If you go to one of these sanctioned events I talk about, 15% of the athletes of the in, in the age groups are going to qualify for nationals, right? So two of 10 will qualify for every race in America that sanctions this year. The second part of that will be all the athletes that qualified last year are going to meet auto qualification again this year. So if, if you said, wow, I, I'm lucky I did qualify. I don't have to re-qualify again this year because you already met it once. If you compete in one of our 50 state championships, the top 35% of the people in the age groups will qualify through our state championship. A very exciting, very new, an amazing new program we're going to have. We don't have regional championships anymore. We have state championships. And so athletes are going to be able to qualify through that avenue. If you were a finisher, one of the 6,800 finishers last year, you're going to auto-qualify through those means as well. If you're part of the world's team, what we call Team USA, you're going to automatically qualify again this year. The door is open fairly wide for you to be able to do that again. And then the All-Americans, who are the top 10% of the rankings, are going to be able to qualify for nationals as well. So when we hit our 7,700 athletes we're going to hit this year, there's going to be a reason why, because people have been 
looking at how they can qualify. They meet the qualification. They get to the incredible Milwaukee venue that we have. And they will be part of history because it will be the largest national championship we've ever seen in the history of our sport in America. That is interesting. That you broke those numbers down really good. I'm not going to even try to break them down. But I want to build on that. So you mentioned something about worlds in there and you mentioned something about all American 10%. Now, are these different qualifications? Is worlds different from all American and all American? Like, how does this all work when it gets to those who want to qualify for Team USA? Yeah, let me, let me, I'll start with all Americans first. By doing three three triathlons or two in all the other disciplines, and all the other disciplines that we have would be duathlon, it'd be uh, off-road, and it would be aqua bike and aquathlon. Th- those, those are honors that are just based on competition through the year. And then if you're a triathlon All-American, then you qualify using that All-American status, which top 10%, as you noted, to get to the national championship. At the national championships, and we have many of them, we have over 14 different disciplines, you will qualify for Team USA or our world championship, as we as we also call it. These are world triathlon-led events. They are taking place in different parts of the world, as the name would imply. And you have a chance. Now, it's not anything that, that, that we're going to cover for you. You're an age group athlete. Um, we have about 1,700 athletes that qualify for world championships in a given time frame. This year, we're going to be going to two places in Spain, and we're going to be going to Germany, as well as Switzerland for world championships. We're going to be going to Norway for Winter Worlds, which is another discipline that we actually have. So I I feel strongly that if you go to the national championship, the chance of you getting a slot to the world championship becomes heightened because we will do pass downs to certain levels. And so if you don't automatically get a spot immediately, you're going to be able to slide down to another spot and make that world championship team. The world championship is the most amazing experience. I wish we could almost do a standalone on that because the stories that we hear about, that we see, that we get to to be part of, um, we talk about life changing, being part of a world team, wearing the red, white, blue USA there's nothing like it. This is the Olympic Games for age group athletes. And so it's the zenith. It is the, the ultimate, the, the penultimate opportunity for people to be represent their country, be part of a world championship and do some great things. Well, first of all, let's do part two. When do you want to do it? Just let me know <laughs> when we can bring you back on this season, talk about worlds because there's still time for people to qualify. And so I do believe that, you know, people want to, they see, okay, slow down, Mashonda. There are oftentimes people who are on Team USA who are racing at the local level. And they see all of the people wearing Team USA and want to know how they qualify. This is how people, you can wear USA too and represent all throughout um, all throughout the global situationship. You know what I'm saying? Like, You have that opportunity. And if, of course, this wouldn't be Mashonda if I didn't put this out there. If you need someone to assist you while you guys are going to Ibiza this year, I am totally ready. It's one of my favorite places. So I can come and help you at Worlds. You may need somebody to talk to the athletes, encourage them. I got you. Got my back. You know what? you, You do need to get to a World Championship symptom. I'll just tell you. You have not lived, Bashan, until you have a chance to get to one. And, and all you have to do is go to a national championship, qualify through the national championship, and you've earned your, your way. Your, your ticket is punched to get to the to the event. So, yes, we are going to Pontevedra. We're going to Ibiza. Um, we're going to Hamburg in Germany. We're going to Zofingen in Switzerland for one of our world championships. Um, so it's some amazing places. They're vacation getaways, but they're also great places to go and, and compete as well. Okay, I want to talk about who. So I'm getting excited about this. So two things I want to do. One, how do people find out? Um, where can they go online to find out about this information? Is the first question. And two, do you have a moment to break down each of the different worlds 
that you guys are going to and what events they are so people can have an idea of what they can qualify in. Yeah, matter of fact, you'll, you'll test me in my abilities here. As, That's as what I'm do. doing. That's what I'm here to do. <laughs> matter of fact, the first place to go to is really the usatriathlon.org website. Okay, and all you have to do is put into the uh, the search engine um, nationals qualification as an example. It should take you to the page that speaks to where you qualify. And then if you put in TMSA, it should take you to the TMSA page. So you can look about, you look at where we're going. And there's a chart we created that shows how you qualify for the, the world championships. The world championships are based on three, three different, well, there's multiple disciplines. Our winner world is going to be the first one. It's winner try and it's winner do. And that's going to be in Norway. Matter of fact, the national championship for winter is this weekend in Anchorage. And so people will be going there for the opportunity to, to get to a world championship this year and also qualify for next year's winter world championship. We're then going to go to Ibiza, and Ibiza is going to be what they call the multi-sport world championship. It is a great place. I was there in 2004, and oh my gosh, it was – I always tell the real, real quick story, Mishanda, that um, I was going to the venue at 4 in the morning, and I, as I was driving by the venue, I went by this disco, and there were people that were um, everywhere on their cars, listening to music. They were dancing. They were high-fiving each other. They were drinking – I'm like, these people do not go to bed. It was crazy. That's it just... is the party capital of the world. It is. It is. I spent my, um, a very key birthday there. <laughs> hey, okay. You're, sorry. Your 20th? Your, what was it? What was That's it? it? Well, it had to have been 21st because, you know, I had to be legal to enjoy <laughs> the festivities. So we'll just say it was the 21st birthday. So the multi-sport festival is where we get all of those event disciplines that are not part of the standard nomenclature that people know. It's aqua bike, um, it's aquathlon, it's it's the it's you know these disciplines that that are are short in distance and for the most part it's duathlon, um, and and on the site you'll see all the races that you you'll you'll be able to do and there are eight of them that you'll be able to do at the world championship. Then you have Pontevedra, which is going to be in Spain also. It's going to be in September. It's going to be, um, again, they're light disciplines. You'll see on the website the, the, the three that we have there. And then we have Hamburg, which is going to be the draft legal side of racing. And, and we'll have world championship there. So, um, and, and I'm not going to test my knowledge because I know I'll mess it up. But uh, the, the Ibiza race will have eight different racing options. And there's, there's relays that they do as part of the team. There's individual super sprint. There's sprint distance. There's standard distance. These, these are all pretty cool. And then the other ones have light disciplines. Like at Hamburg, it's all draft legal racing. And then at Ponte Vedra, it's all non-draft racing. And so these are all kind of – so you don't have to take multiple bikes except for Ibiza where you're doing off-road and you're doing on-road. But we have bike rentals that we will establish through a local group. So you don't have to take two bikes. You take one bike, you rent the other one. Usually it's the offered bike that you would rent. And then we have a support staff at these events. So we take care of you medically. We take care of you with massage. We take care of the chiropractor support. We take care of you with coaching support. Um, we as the team lead, the managers will walk through all the things you need to know about the event. We'll do course previews. We'll do transition walkthroughs. It's it's amazing. It's like being on your Olympic team, except you get to do it at the age group level. So. Relays, that's when I perked up. Like, wait a minute, mixed so, relay. So, where do mixed relays go to? Because I don't remember seeing mixed relays at age group nationals. Is that nope. the one that's in Austin? I mean, that's yep. in Texas. That's when it's in Irving. In Irving, excuse yep. me. Yep, it's the one in. in I, I gotta make sure it's Irving since uh, the, the people there will be very mad at me if I say Dallas. <laughs> so, Oops, yes, but that is correct. And you know, we we made the mistake of thinking that World Triathlon was going to do mixed relay for duathlon as well. So we had this group of about 80 athletes qualified for mixed relay for duathlon, and it's only for elites, juniors, and U23. So I'm hoping next year we'll get mixed relay for duathlon. But right now it's for triathlon. It's super sprint. It's fast. It's high intensity. It's pay it's all the things you'd want. People tell us, when they did it in Irving this year, it was the most exciting racing they'd ever done in their entire careers. It was the bomb. And I think that's what we're doing in this sport is we're not – relegated to staying true to the disciplines and not being experimental and try new and different things. We're really opening the door for, 
for these people to come back. You you talked about that earlier. People walk away. Are we getting them back? Are we getting them into aqua bike? Are we getting them into aquathlon? Are we getting them to 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 relay options? Are we doing super sprint races for them? It's happening. And this what I call the reincarnation of our sport is changing how we're looked at and the ability for us to do new and different things is bringing people back. And that's why the numbers are going to go through the roof over this next couple of years because of it. Bring them back, bring them back. Yes. Of course I associate a lot of things with music. So I'm just like getting so <laughs> excited. Wow. So just to sum this up, because that was a lot. USA triathlon also puts on events. So go to their website to find out how you can participate in the events that have some qualification for worlds, but then some of them are just races. So you are able to do that as well. And that gives you that, it's an elevated race experience that you may not get at the local level, but it's a step up to make you feel like you are racing in a celebrity type situation. So I would say definitely check out their races. Okay, the time has escaped because we have talked about some really good things, but I think it was important for us to talk about worlds and how to qualify because that was my goal. It's for people to have an idea of how they can do it so that they can be thinking about ways that they could set up their season if they haven't already finished their race planning schedule so that they can qualify for worlds and qualify, well, excuse me, qualify for nationals, which then will allow you to qualify for worlds. But I cannot let you go without asking some rapid fire questions. So we will have you back. And maybe while we're in an event together next week, when it's at the same time this will air, because we are recording early, we can maybe get in some little punches here and there where there's time, because there's really so much information that we still can talk about that we really did not even scratch the surface on today. Um, So rapid fire, are you ready? Yeah, yeah, I'm nervous. Oof. I think you should be because I got some new rapid fire questions. Yikes. Because I'm sure my listeners are like, Mashonda, come up with some new questions, girl. <laughs> so I did. I answered the questions that nobody said to do. No. Okay. So I want to first by saying, well, first ask. It's really quiet. My favorite dessert is ice cream. Was that one of the questions? Oh my gosh. No, but I like ice cream too. Oh my God. Okay. But no, I do love ice cream. <laughs> All right. What is your favorite triathlon hack? My favorite triathlon hack. Hack? Trick. Like hack, trick. Like if you don't have your water bottle, you put together two water bottles. You know, like, I don't know. What is a hack? What is a a secret? What is a, like a life hack? What is a triathlon hack that Maybe that's a silly question. I'm going to have to work that question through. No, no, that's funny. I've actually never heard it hack. Like if I'm a hacky sack, I'm I'm kicking something in the air. So you got me on that one. But um, wow, that's that's a really hard question. You know how they say, here's a life hack. Like somebody I saw on, (laughs) clearly my source of um, entertainment (laughs) is Instagram these days or TikTok. And somebody uh, showed us how you could put a, a spatula in the oil dip your batter in and then put it back in the frying pan and you have like a how you can make an empanada without having to touch the batter like a life hack like something that is that only you do because you figured out how to make something else work anyway you know what we're spending too much time on this question so i can work this through a little bit more clearly this is not the question that's rapid well, let, let me let me answer it in a different way. Not not so much related to triathlon. Can I consider my hack for what I do when I announce events? And, and I've been really fortunate to announce about 400 races in my career. My secret ingredient is in the mornings, I will have lemon-lime Gatorade. I'll have honey, vanilla, mm-hmm. okay. and lemon in my lemon Gatorade or Powerade or whatever it might be. That can get me through an entire weekend of announcing. So that's that would be, I guess that's my hack in that people are like, how do you not lose your voice? Well, it's that secret ingredient. It's, it's right here. You know what? 
saw you drinking that and was like, what is it? It looks really disgusting. Just for those of you who, and so I'm new, new now to the announcing world, but I'm newer. I have not erased 400. Twenty-five years ago, we oh had an announcement that didn't show up for one of our events, and our CEO at the time, Steve Locke, said, "Tim, I need you to announce this race." I'm like, "Oh, oh, okay," and it just it got me rolling. So I do all of our national championships, and I do other events for other people that I love doing when I have time. But yeah, it's it's uh, I love announcing; it's fun. Wow, you're, you're so good at it. I should be taking lessons from you on what you do. We want to talk about this because I feel like this is going to be like, anyway, lemon, honey, vanilla, and then lemon in the lemon lime Gatorade. In lemon lime Gatorade. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a soothing ointment. Now, granted it has fallout effects if I'm uh, over consuming, but I won't get into that here. <laughs> I'll go through six bottles of Gatorade, six, three, two ounces bottle of Gatorade in a given day. Okay, well, um, let's move right along there. We'll we'll talk about that off the line. Um, uh, do you have any race or race announcing superstitions? Um, I I do I do have some superstitions. Matter of fact, I will wear the um, same pair of running shoes each day, um, certain days of the week. First day is always my Saucony running shoes. Second day will always be Brooks running shoes. And then I go back to Saucony if I announce the third day. It's a it's it's my relief that I, I'm we're gonna be okay. When I when I actually present for NCAA, I have a pair of NCAA socks. So I am superstitious, what I'm saying. I'll wear the NCAA socks every presentation I will ever do, and I've done probably 150 of them in my time. Same pair of socks. I need some new socks, is what I'm saying. What? <laughs> so maybe my questions this year aren't so bad after all. Okay. You get me to really dig deep on this, Lashadi. You know that, right? Well, you know, that's what I do as well. Like, you know, I ask thought-provoking questions. This is what I do. All right. What song, or if you listen to podcasts or the news, gets you excited when you are cycling? There, there is a, God, I'm going blank. I'm going blank on the name of the song. It's a seven minute, 22 minute song that is um, acoustical only. Oh my gosh. Why? The, the name of the song is Why. Okay. And it is a song that it's a, I do, I do intervals, right? And I finish with this song because it's my last interval. My last interval usually is at seven to eight minutes. And it is a game changer for me. I love it. I've played it for years and years and years. It's on my playlist and it'll never be taken off my playlist. I don't care for how many years I continue to do this. But yeah, the song is called Why. Called Why. Give me three of your favorite destinations that you've traveled to for work. Perth, Australia. Okay. That would be one of them. Um, Vire, Austria would be an, another one. And I would I would have to say that the the other one is Christchurch, New Zealand. It's so unique. It's it's such the food is amazing. Those would be my three best. But you know what? There's a lot of them there, and I won't go into this today, but I've got a lot of fourths and fifths that are really close as well. I, I when I talk about Team USA and World Championship, I, I talk about Switzerland being an amazing country that I love going to. This year, I was able to go to Abu Dhabi for the first time, which was amazing location as well. But so there are other ones that are really close, but those three probably still hold true as my favorite locations. Okay, okay. What is one piece of advice that you want beginners to know? Um, stay true to yourself. Never give up. Just never get kind of like Jim Valvano, the, the the coach who died of cancer. He says in his clip, "Just never give up. Always know that you know you talk about the the brain will get you to eighty percent of your full abilities and ability to accomplish things. The other twenty percent is heart, 
and and you got to dig into that twenty percent in order to to really exceed your own established limits or what you believe are your limits. And I would say that never give up. I'll, I always know that there's just a little bit more that you can give as part of this. And, I, and when I when I go to world championships, I'm at the finish line area, and I'm yelling at people, "You've got one more gear. You've got one more opportunity. Don't give up. Don't give up. Fight hard. Fight through this." And I I believe in it. I live it. And so I, I love that, and I'll stay true to that. The other the other thing I, that's a a true phrase of mine is pressure is a privilege. Pressures are put. We position ourselves in the places that we are, whether it be performance, whether it be presenting, whether it be your job, whether it be anything, raising family, the pressures we put ourselves in, we've earned the right to be in those places and those positions. And that's why, remember, it, we've earned this right to do what we do and how we do it. So, And amen goes there. Last question. When you were racing, when you are still racing, do you pee on the bike or get off the bike <laughs> right now? Oh, oh. I love the question. I will say this. When I, when I crewed for a guy in the double Ironman back in 1989, that was the first time I was forced to pee on the bike. Oh, it was so hard. But, um, but, yeah, that was the first time. I haven't done it many times since. The in bike racing, you you also um stand up and you do what you got to do, right? And it's pitiful because you got people doing it right around you. Everybody decides to do it at the same time. And if it's a windy day and the wind's blowing wrong and yeah, it's, you kind of get but yeah, I I don't do it nearly as much as I used to because it's really bad on bike shoes. <laughs> Facts. Facts, facts, facts. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We have gone a little bit over our time, but I hope you listening have been like, or watching have been like, this was worth it. It was so worth it to hear you talk to him. And I hope that you will come back this season specifically so that we can talk more and maybe we'll bring some of those people on so they can share their stories about worlds. Um, when you come back, I think that's, That'd be awesome. that's what we'll do. We'll get round up a couple of people who, um, who has some really good world stories and we'll have them back on when we can talk a little bit more about it in the next couple of months or whatever. But as you know, we're so grateful that we get an opportunity to try, right? Because whenever you try, you always win. No matter what the outcome is, you still win because you gave it your best try. I'm Ashonda Mouse and we are out. See you soon. Peace. Thank you for tuning in and listening to this episode. We need your help so we can continue to try at TBL. So for more information on where you can find and subscribe to this podcast, visit www.trybeginnersluck.com. And don't forget, whenever you try beginner's luck, you always win.